0: What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, Fun show today. I was joined by the great Nick Lindquist. Uh, First time chatting with Nick. Uh, And uh, Nick's a good guy. He's a smart guy. And we had a lot of fun. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, Before I get to Nick, guys, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved with the show, uh, you can hit us up over on Patreon, patreon patreon.com slash TheNoGimmicksPodcast. All right. Without further ado, the great Nick Lindquist. All right, guys, we're here with Nick Linquist. Nick, first-time guest. It's good to talk to you, brother. How you doing?
1: Yeah, great to talk to you. Glad to be here. Um, I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing
0: great, man. So uh, obviously, only two shows a week, which means we have an exorbitant amount of of stuff to get to. Uh, I don't know if we'll have time to get to everything, but let's let's start here. Um, Maybe this won't work out in our favor. Who knows? But I'm noticing in the last couple months, and even ramping up uh, in, in recent weeks and days, even. I I think we've been seeing a a major unification on the right behind President Trump. And and maybe it's because people are realizing just how bad Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris really are. Maybe it's the fact that nothing brings the right together like a good Supreme Court justice. <laughs> Obviously we've seen that several times over the years. But I mean whether it's mainstream folks on the right who didn't support Trump in twenty sixteen, guys like, you know, Glenn Beck and Eric Erickson, Ben Shapiro, people like that, to even people on the libertarian side, you know, like like friend of the show, Austin Peterson, who ran for president as a as a libertarian, who left the LP and joined the GOP and endorsed Trump and, and I I just feel like a lot of people are coming home on all sides of the right, if you will. And, and, you know, we'll get to the polls later, but but I do think this means something. I do think it's a big deal. Are you noticing the same thing?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy because even two months ago, like, you know, I wouldn't have foreseen this coming. I just, it didn't seem like it was trending in that direction. Um, but, but now I'm seeing, like you said, it's interesting how many different kinds of people are coming home now, too. It's, you know, it's the libertarians, it's uh, the neocons, it's the trad cons, it's the moderates, like everyone is coming home and rallying around Republican candidates finally. Um, and I think, you know, it goes to show that um, in the in the important moments that people will come home. And I, you know, there's a lot of reasons why this might be happening. I think Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation definitely um, helped. But then there's also all of these defining moments happening, like. America's cities burning down and um, people worried about what Joe Biden might do to their their tax rates or um, their energy bills. Um, You know, there's a lot of worries in people's minds because the left has shifted so far left that, um, you know, I think they've kind of shot themselves in the foot doing that. So, you know, in a way, people are (laughs) becoming more red pilled than they were before, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right, and I mean the left is always. I think they're always going to be. Um, I mean, they they like things like uniformity and, and collectivism and stuff like that. I think they're they're always going to be more uniform than the right, um, which is fine. But I think the right was was more divided than usual, even in 2016. Um, you know, just all the prominent yes. figures on the right not you know you know refusing to, to vote for Trump, and I mean the Never Trump movement. It's down to like five people. I mean, it's it's like the, the Lincoln Project grifters and then David French. You know what I mean? Like that, that's it. I mean, I, I'm just not seeing right. a lot of it. And I know it's anecdotal, but even people in my own life, you know, I know lots of Republicans that just couldn't bring themselves to vote for Trump four years ago that are happily voting for Trump this time. And I'm, I'm trying not to. You know, I'm trying to stay away from anecdotes and you know confirmation bias, but
1: I, it, it's hard to ignore. I'm seeing it oh. everywhere. Yeah. And you know what? The anecdotes, they matter in this case. I think I'm seeing the same thing. And you know what? I actually, you know, I didn't love Trump in 2016, admittedly. Um, And uh, this year, I mean, I I voted for him already. So I I think there's a lot of people in that boat. I think the Never Trump movement has really shrunk down to just, you know, the crazies at the Lincoln Project and um, a couple fringe groups because they've moved... You know, they've radicalized themselves, and I think that people don't want to be associated with that. Um, I know I didn't. So, yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I see this happening, and I would argue that there are more people unified around Trump in 2020 as opposed to 2016. Obviously, a lot of things can go wrong, but, um, you know, that's a good sign in itself.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I, think, I think it... Uh... I think the Ronald Reagan factor kind of plays into it a little bit. Like it's been a long time since Ronald Reagan left office and Ronald Reagan was kind of the last figure on the right to really unify everybody. You know, a lot of people, including myself. And I, I don't know how I, I I guess I don't really know where you I've read some of your stuff. I don't know exactly where you stand in your political philosophy. But, you know, I was not a, a fan of George W. Bush's presidency. And and, you know, for me, you know, I, I reluctantly, very reluctantly voted for Trump. Um, I, I did not mm. like the guy I voted against him in the Ohio primaries. Um, you know, and then I reluctantly voted for him. And I said, look, all he has to do, uh, you know, obviously growing up in the George Bush and Barack Obama presidencies, all all Trump had to do to win my vote for his reelection was to cut my taxes and not start a new war. I'm like, I don't even expect him to bring the troops home or anything like that. (laughs) I don't even expect major wins. Just cut my taxes a little bit. Don't start another additional war. And then you've got my vote. I mean, the bar was set so low for me. And I think I think I maybe speak for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I am, I, I'd say I'm a little more hawkish than than others. Um, but, it, you know, what it boils down to mostly for me, the the economy and my taxes come first. Right. And um, I think that that's a huge driving factor for right. a lot of people, especially like suburban voters and, um, you know, people that the economy really does matter to them. And, you know, their 401ks matter. And, their stock portfolios matter and the raise that they might get at their job matters. And I think all of these things definitely play a role this year um, where Joe Biden, well, he's flip-flopped as he's done with many things, but, you know, he told us that he was going to cancel the Republican tax cuts and that would cancel tax (laughs) cuts for a lot of Americans. It's not just the people. Yeah. 85% of the country. Yeah. And, um, and in canceling the corporate tax rates, you know, it's not a direct effect on people, but people know that that won't be good for them either. Their employers are going to be more strapped for cash. So I think that people are seeing through this and, you know, they want the low taxes. Now, of course, um, I do have some issues with the way the spending's going right now. Oh, of course. And I have my concerns about other things, but I think all things considered, and I think a lot of people are in the same boat, you know Trump is going to be better overall um for America and our future and our children than uh, Joe Biden. I don't think people realize,
0: because the the corporate tax rate it's still extremely high it's what what i think twenty two twenty oh, yeah. two and a half percent is that do I have that right
1: yeah, it's around I mean that's like people don't understand how high that is compared to the rest of the world, but yeah, I think it's around.
0: Yeah, if Biden got his way and jacked that back up to, I, I believe it was, what, 35 uh, percent, I mean, that would have a catastrophic effect on the stock market, on people's 401ks. I mean, my goodness, if you immediately raise the corporate tax rate that high that fast, that's a lot of jobs, man. That's a lot of jobs leaving the United States. I don't think people really, you know, people look at their own tax bracket, but they don't understand that in in, all, in reality, corporate tax rates actually make a bigger difference.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, if you know, if you want to make reforms to the tax code or whatever, go for it. But like, you know, raising it that high only hurts. I don't think people realize also that, you know, not all corporations are Amazon, like there are corporations with one employee. And there are corporations that are like small businesses can be a corporation. It's just it's not like people indicate it as size, I think, in their minds. And it's just not it's not the way you're going to hurt the small people and the the small businesses first when you do things like that. So I, yeah, I completely agree that the the corporate tax rates matter a lot more than people think.
0: It is funny that that a lot of folks on the left equate all corporations to the single largest corporation in the history of the world, <laughs> Amazon. That's yeah. like, yeah, all right, guys that's just not that bears no relation to reality, obviously. So let, let's briefly. Yeah. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it because I just don't really have that much to say this close to the election. But who who knows what to think about the polls? And anytime I talk about the polls, the audience asks me about the polls all the time, and I just I don't know. Um, I mean, one encouraging sign: Real Clear Politics does now have Trump up in Florida in their average for the first time this year, I believe. And uh, which mm-hmm. I think I don't know that the the Real Clear Politics average. Tends to be somewhat close to to accurate, uh, I mean certain polls have Trump up in Pennsylvania, some don 't um, uh, real clear politics right now has Trump and Biden tied in Ohio, which seems insane to me um, trump mm. The Trump campaign pulled ads out of Ohio like two or three weeks ago i I, I have a feeling their internals. Uh, must be saying something significantly significantly different and then there 's there 's polls like today 's poll uh a b c poll which has Trump down seventeen in wisconsin okay it 's like all right I know i don 't know what 's true and what 's not i know that 's not real, and Trump very well may lose wisconsin it 's not going to be by seventeen so it 's like if you, I don't know. What what should we be paying attention here regarding the polls?
1: You know, I think pollsters like the polls are even more inconsistent this year, I think, than 2016. And I think pollsters are starting to destroy their own industry. Um, That's another story. But, uh, you know, I've been looking at polls and, you know, the data that we do have when you combine them is showing that, you know, like Trump is closing in on Joe Biden's lead in a lot of places, like Pennsylvania, for example, I was looking at um, an average by 538, and, um, you know, in the last two weeks, he's gained like two points and they're close to within the margin of error now. So it's just, I mean, it's it's getting close and this always happens. I mean, it, it, it always narrows in the end. But, um, you know, I think he has a real chance in places that we didn't think he had a chance even a month ago, and it's obviously going to be very close. If he does win, I think it'll only be by like, within 15 points, but um, obviously, you know, that can all change and whatever, but you know, the, the polls seem to be this year more erratic and inconsistent than they've ever been. And, I, and you know, so that's why I've kind of been looking, I've been trying to looking at, at other things, like um, for example, in Wisconsin, It's looking like Republicans are storming the the voting centers and the polls while Dems are seeing a weak turnout. Um, So that's kind of an interesting thing to look at. They're just Republicans are returning more ballots that they that they requested. Um, They're showing up to the polls more. It's um, it's an interesting thing to look at there, too, I think. The actual voting performance in the early voting period will be very telling of what happens on Election Day.
0: It's interesting, but it's also frustrating to look at these numbers mm-hmm. because I just don't know what to make of it. I mean, you're looking at, uh, like you mentioned, Wisconsin, also in Florida, Republicans are, are essentially neck and neck with Democrats in, in terms of early voting, which, if you know, if that's true across the board, that's fantastic because conventional wisdom says Democrats vote early, Republicans vote on Election Day. Um, yeah. And then in other states it it looks like exclusively Democrats are voting early and Republicans are lagging way behind. so it's like I don't know why you know re- Republicans in Florida are going to the polls early and Republicans in Pennsylvania are not, you know what you know what I'm saying so it's like the the, oh, the yeah. data is interesting to look at, but it's like I don't know what to do with it. I have no idea what like what am I, I don't know what to do with that information,
1: yeah, you know that is weird and I, like I don't know why. Like you said, I don't know why in some states it's different than others. Um, You know, I'm hoping that the data coming out of Wisconsin is a good sign. And I think, um, you know, if Trump performs really well in the Midwest, that's going to be the way that he wins. But we'll see. I mean, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting year. There's obviously lots of stuff going on that has never happened before. And I think that might be why the polls are so erratic, too. I mean, there's just like, People are saying they're going to vote for Biden, but are they actually going to show up to the polls this year? With how crazy things are, um, you know, there's just a lot of factors at play, and I I think that that is why the polls have gone insane and why we can't figure anything out. I think I, I mean it's honestly anyone's race in my mind right now. So we'll see. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And, and you know, however it turns out, uh, Trump's got that hustle, man. I mean, take a peek at his schedule this week and this weekend. I mean, he's doing three to four rallies in three to four different states every single day <laughs> mm-hmm. while, while running the country. I mean, the, the guy is he's putting in the work. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. We, you know We'll see how big of a factor that plays. I mean, I, Mitt Romney was drawing big crowds right to the very end, too, in 2012. And he got blown out. So it's not all about crowd size. But I mean, if you look at the schedule, if you look at these rallies, he is drawing tens of thousands of people. Biden. Is doing maybe one rally a day and it's in front of five people in these weird, like, cult circles and stuff. And it's very strange. Yeah. doesn't seem like a good time to me. But I mean, obviously, that's anecdotal as well. But I, I don't know, man. They, the GOP and, and the Trump campaign, they are hustling right now. They're out. They might not be outspending the Democrats, but they are certainly out hustling the Democrats.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, with Joe Biden, I, I looked at his schedule the other day. And, well, obviously, he calls a late on the day you know, pretty early a lot of the time, but he hasn't been on that many trips to battleground states. Like he, he goes to Pennsylvania a lot. Um, but that's about it. His, his, he had that Amtrak thing or whatever that, um, (laughs) yeah, I don't know what, like that just seems so slow, but anyway, um, he had that, but that was a while ago now. I don't know what he's doing now. I don't know why he's not, you know, pounding the pavement more and, and trying to win over voters in key states, but, uh, it is a very weird sight to see, and I think also looking at his, you know, like his crowds are—it's its like a small gathering in it. I, I don't know how that happens. I, I i just feel like overall there's definitely more enthusiasm for Donald Trump than there is Joe Biden. He seems just like a, a means to an end for Democrats almost.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, if Joe Biden does overcome the enthusiasm gap— it will be the first time that's ever happened. So I'm not saying it can't happen, Mm. but, you know, people are fired up about Trump. There's no enthusiasm behind Biden and something like, what, 56% of the country says they're better off now than they were four years ago. And maybe, who knows, maybe Trump's that bad of a candidate or that unlikable and and those factors don't matter. But if those factors don't matter, it'll be literally the first time in history since we started tracking these kind of things.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, those things do matter. And um, obviously polls matter, but... Also, these these other factors and these other signs matter too, and um, you know, basically, excuse me. Overall, I don't think Trump is at as much of a disadvantage as people think he is. I think he actually does have a chance to still pull this off. And uh, obviously, we'll see in less than a week. Well, maybe if yeah. know, if everything's <laughs> yeah, who, who <laughs> we knows? Might be in the Iowa caucus situation again, but. Uh... <laughs> oh gosh but we'll see i guess I, I can't handle
0: don't even say i can't handle it man i can't i can't do it we got to figure this thing out <laughs> so speaking of things that may help out trump uh joe biden ver- voters burned down philadelphia last night so that's that's mm. exciting stuff i mean that that, that'll help their candidate win, <laughs> you know, violence right. on the streets, you know, and all the typical stuff, all the stuff we've been seeing for months, uh, 30 cops hospitalized in the last two nights, Walmart's looted, Nike stores looted, electronic stores looted, you know, for social justice or George Floyd or, or, or some such, uh, you know, Democrats, they, they really can't control themselves, man. Like even six days out from a general election, they just really need that new TV.
1: It's, yeah, it's honestly sad to me. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Republican. I always have been, but, you know, I love these cities, you know, so I grew up in upstate New York. I used to go down to New York City all the time and, and, you know, in college especially and, you know, have my fun and enjoy the city. And now I can't even imagine like people in my situation now in college probably can't do that because they don't know if it's safe or not um, you can't find work there anymore. Right. And and this is happening, like it happened in Philadelphia recently, and it's been happening in Portland. And, uh, I think Seattle was like the first place for this to happen and Minneapolis, and it's just happening across the country. It's really sad to watch these big, um, once vibrant cities just start to crumble because Democrats have decided that they care more about, appeasing the farther left wing of their party than keeping their constituents safe um it's it's like what coalition
0: are they trying to build with praising violence you know what i mean like i've I've had a lot of even I, i i live in toledo ohio which is lucas county the county i'm in is the third bluest county in the in the midwest behind uh Cook County and uh, Wayne County (laughs) naturally so Mm -hmm. uh, you know most of my friends and family members are on the left and a lot of them even on the far left and they you know I even had people asking me you know hey well you're a you're a libertarian right like aren't you like you know super anti-cop and all this and you know shouldn't you support Black Lives Matter I'm like yeah I'm a libertarian i I'm against violence so mm. like if one out of a hundred or one out of a thousand cops are, are violent and racist and need to lose their jobs or be incarcerated you know that's bad but one hundred percent of people that loot and burn and kill people on the streets are violent so like if I'm choosing between cops and violent communist rioters like give me the cops you know any day of the week so it's like I the you know politics is all about coalition building and these people like Kamala Har- you know Kamala Harris and her staff were bailing these violent communists out of prison and stuff like that it's like I just don't understand the tactic like you're not building any coalitions here you know what I mean
1: right that's not like it, it uh, electorally it makes no sense I mean you're alienating people with children because they don't feel safe bringing their children into town anymore you're alienating just regular people everyday people that need to work in the city that you're alienating, you're alienating so many people by doing this. And I don't understand what, like, you know, this is so much cost for something that doesn't like click in my head. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why would you want your city to burn down? And like, it's not even helping you in any regard. So I just, you know, it's, it's very weird. And, um, And it's very sad. And I I think it, you know, you know, it's too obviously too early to tell. I think the election results will tell us a lot more. But I think there are places that have traditionally been Democratic strongholds that will start to kind of shift um, away from that and maybe not lose their, you know, blue status or whatever. But I mean, these cities where people are starting to get annoyed and, and scared for their lives in some cases, I think they're going to start to vote differently. Um, and, I, you know, it's, it's starting to, ha- it's been happening in the Midwest. I mean, a lot of Midwestern states that were not previously up for grabs are now. Even, um, you know, I, I'm i not an Ohioan, but I do, I do pay attention to Ohio a lot. And it seems like Ohio is getting redder yes. rather than blue. It's uh, it's pretty crazy to watch. Like, isn't your your legislators completely Republican controlled? Right?
0: No, we still have Sherrod Brown. Okay. Yeah, we still have Sherrod <laughs> Brown. We still have a, we have well, a,
1: a, a few. House, so. Yeah,
0: yeah, we have a super majority in the state house and close to a super majority in the state senate. Like, it is you know it's it's very red. And you know, you even saw uh, in a horrible year like 2018 for Republicans, you saw um, Mike DeWine win uh the governorship mm-hmm. and you saw um uh in 2016 rob portman won re-election by like 17 points you know which is wild for a senate race uh it's usually yeah, always nice. within a couple points so you saw dewine win by five you saw trump win ohio in 2016 by nine and you saw rob portman win by by he was either 16 or 17 so yeah ohio is definitely trending red thank goodness
1: Mm, yeah no, that's very good. and then, in addition to like the the lockdowns and and whatnot in blue traditionally blue states um i think I think the tides can turn maybe your neighbor's upstairs even um in Michigan, so we'll see I guess we'll see I mean Michigan's
0: big, and then um the the senatorial races are obviously crucial too I mean, you're seeing um some polls showing that John James, who's a, a terrific candidate. Um, running neck and neck with Gary Peters in Michigan. I mean, if we could flip that Michigan Senate seat, that'd be huge, especially with all the, you know, the Susan Collins, Corey Gardner, these, these, uh, these vulnerable Republicans that look like they might be toast. At least Collins is toast. I don't know how she, she rebounds. Um, but you know, if we could flip a seat with, with a guy like John James, that'd be huge coming out of the Midwest
1: yeah and you know i i have a particular appreciation for john james i think he's a great candidate and i hope he pulls through i know financially i think he's beating his opponent now so that's a good sign and the polls are starting to you know show some good signs as well so i guess we'll see i would love i would love to see more seats like that come up for grabs for republicans and and have good republicans fill them like john james so um It'll definitely be interesting to watch. I do think some Republicans are toast. Um, you know, Susan Collins, I'm not too sure about anymore, but I guess we'll see. Who knows? We might get really lucky and 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 keep a lot of seats we thought we were gonna lose.
0: You never know. I mean we <laughs> we could always yeah. bowl a seven ten split, you know, you never know. But um, I, I want to get to some of Biden's ridiculous gaffes and the the ridiculous stuff <laughs> he's uh he said lately, in just a second. But um Real quick, I do want to talk about the the Hunter Biden email story. It really shows you how evil the press is that this story didn't end Biden's campaign. I mean, there is truly disqualifying stuff in there. And now we have, uh, make sure I get the name right, Tony uh, Bobulinski uh, going on Tucker Carlson last night you know, on the record, giving his account of the events. And, and the press still... And he, you know, handed over evidence to the FBI. He's, he's cooperating with the FBI, and the press refuses to cover it. The, the New York Post is still banned from social media for for having the, yep. for having the audacity to, you know, do journalism. So, I I didn't think the press was powerful enough to bury this story, but I guess I was wrong. I mean, like polls are showing that people don't know about this story; they've just never heard of it. Um, this is maybe the biggest October surprise ever, and it's having absolutely no effect, and that is troubling. That is troubling for the Republic moving forward, knowing that the press is still
1: this powerful. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, when I saw news of that happening and when I saw Twitter start to suppress the story from being circulated, and then even when they did let it circulate, there was like a crazy warning on it that it was probably not right or something. Um, I just kind of I lost faith in a lot of our institutions and— uh, um, the way that a lot of people who we rely on for information are conducting themselves. I think it's uh, it's really dangerous because one day it could come back to bite them and I don't see why they would want to start this now. Um, and why it's so conveniently happening just before the election. In addition to other things like you know, every company in my entire life telling me to register to vote, um, and it's just kind of crazy there's a lot of stuff in there that I think the American people need to see and, and evaluate for themselves and it's just not happening because media companies are saying well we don't personally like this information so we're going to keep it from you and uh, just trust us it's not good and uh, I think that's happening a lot now.
0: It's funny man if Biden wins I don't I think that the press has I mean look, it, the audience knows I'm I'm pretty extreme on the press. I, I I started this podcast 4 years ago because I hate the press so much. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. I have absolutely <laughs> no respect for these people on any level. Oh. Um but I I think they've crossed the Rubicon. Like they they've completely taken the mask off. And the terrifying thing is if Biden wins, it's like I think the press like they were bad under Obama. They basically took 8 years off. But I think it's going to be so extreme if if Biden wins that the press will essentially be just state propaganda. Like, I, I think, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't think they'll even, no, no matter what Biden does, right? Or, or or Kamala Harris, who would probably end up being president within six months. Like, no matter what they do, I don't think the press would cover it. I mean, they, they wouldn't cover a war. They wouldn't cover, you know what I mean? Like, they'd do anything, I think, to protect the Democrats. And that's terrifying when they're out of power, but that, that's not just, I mean, that's dangerous. I mean, that's that's horribly. That that's terrifying. If they are actually in power, uh, I mean, do, do you really think it's that bad? Do you think they would they would literally just basically run interference for the for the state if if Democrats are elected? Because I I don't know. I, I I think if I had to guess, I think they would.
1: I mean, so I think I'm a little less bleak on it than that. I will say that I don't have much faith in them anymore. I think they've proven themselves not. You know not a very good actor in most cases and i think that um you know most of them are not trustworthy to get information from i mean personally i only get my information from the sources i know that i can get valuable and um correct information from anymore so i i think that's another important thing for people to remember you need to find the sources that are going to give you level-headed and accurate information and you need to you know support them you know I, I i make my contributions to you know whatever sources i use um national review for example is one that i use a lot um and i think it's really important that people you know encourage accurate and um trustworthy information to be circulated instead of letting these media companies destroy their own industry, and basically work as an arm for the DNC. And, you know, so from that perspective, yeah, I think that, you know, they are way easier on Democrats when in office than Republicans. And I I think that that's definitely a clear and apparent fact. Um, So I, I think that, yeah, there's definitely some truth to that, and we need to be vigilant as Americans and support the sources that are going to give us good information.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Um, let, let's get to some of the, the Biden gaffes. Uh, real quick, mm. I just have to— I don't know if this if you find this as hilarious as I do, but my least favorite thing— it, it does make me literally laugh out loud sometimes, but like my le- the, the least favorite thing that the press does— is when they pretend to be stupid, like they pretend to, not just stupid, like they pretend to be like mentally handicapped, and like, yes. like, jo- uh, um, uh, what's the guy? Uh, Humpty Dumpty, uh, Bri- uh, Stelter, Brian Stelter, he does this all the time. He'll like, he'll laugh at something like a conservative says, and then pretend that he's too stupid to understand like words, you know, like oh, Republican mm-hmm. says this. What do those words even mean? And it's like. Republican just said two plus two is four, bro. Like, what? Do you, why are you pretending? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And so you saw this over the weekend and earlier this week after Joe Biden um, said he was running against George, <laughs> George Bush. <laughs> and oh God, and so the time. press, they, they, they go to, like, pretending they have, like, a sub 40 IQ. They're like, oh, no, no, no. He was talking to George Lopez. He said he was running against George Lopez. It's like, one, that doesn't make, that's not, is that any better that he thought that George Lopez was the president of the United States? But like, it's just so funny. Like you and I, you're probably like me, like, you know, you're a writer, I'm a podcaster. Like a lot of our, like we spend a lot of time trying to convince people that we're smarter than we really are, you know, at least I do. And like, if you're a journalist, you have to do the opposite. So like Jake Tapper goes on CNN and he's like, doesn't like, he pretends to be so stupid that he can't see and hear. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I right. mean? He's like, no, no, he right. met George Lopez. Like, no, d- Biden's fine. And it's like, I'm too stupid to know what's going on. I'm an idiot. Look at me, audience. I'm a clown. I'm so dumb. I can't discern what's <laughs> happening around me. And it's like, I've always just thought that's such an odd tactic. Like, I would never pretend to be a moron. Like, think of it, like I, I think Jake Tapper's awful, but, like, he's not an idiot. Like, he, you know what I mean? Like, he, like, went to college right. and stuff. Like, he doesn't have an IQ under 70. It's like, I would never to defend a political candidate, pretend to be a moron. But that's what lefty journalists do on a daily basis. And it's like, it's frustrating, but it's also hilarious in the same way. It's such a weird self-own.
1: Oh, it's so strange. And you know what? I remember watching that <laughs> that interview uh, where Joe Biden kept saying, he said it like twice. He's George, like, yeah. you know, four more years of George... And then George, he said, like George again, George. And he completely lost his train of thought and moved on to something else. I, also, I just want to know what Jill is thinking when she's <laughs> sitting next to me doing this, and just just a blank expression on her face, like, uh oh, it's happening again. <laughs> um, but it's just, I, I I. And then I saw the explanation that people in the press were trying to give, like, oh no, he was, you know, George. It was talking about George Lopez. And I was like, oh okay, four more years of. George Lopez, that makes a lot more sense. Um, Oh, it's just so stupid. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if they're, you know, I think they're being disingenuous, obviously, but um, the sad thing is then millions of other people that watched whatever Chris Cuomo or Jake Tapper said are going to take that and then use that as their argument against other people in their lives. And it's just... It's an endless cycle of um, crap. It's just, I don't understand what's happening. But you're, uh, yeah, I've, <laughs> when I watch them do things like that, I'm like, come on, guys. This is, <laughs> like, I don't have much faith in you, but I know that you're at least a little smarter than this. <laughs>
0: It's just so funny that that's their go-to. It's like they're so willing to jump on every grenade for Joe Biden, even if it makes them look awful. (laughs) And it's like, I don't know. It's like it's you'd think that these people were so like self-absorbed that they wouldn't want to make themselves look bad on TV. But like, man, if it's if it's between looking like an idiot on TV and protecting a Democrat, they will protect that Democrat ten times out of ten. It's just it's hilarious.
1: Oh, you bet. That's exactly it. It's very odd to watch because, I mean, a lot of these people have, you know, really, really inflated egos. um, And then they turn around and do stuff like this. It's very weird.
0: I mean, it is. I I, look, I think the hide in the basement strategy, not only from Joe Biden, but from Kamala Harris, too, is I mean, that was, objectively speaking, the right call. Was it not? (laughs) I mean, you saw the the Kamala (laughs) Harris interview on on 60 Minutes where she like like, well, senator harris like you do have the most liberal voting record in the senate and she just goes "Ah, it's just like the crazy creepy fake laugh thing it's like oh man like that's of course you were going to be asked like of course you were going to be asked that question like the creepy psychopath fake laugh is like the best you can come up with like man i i get it i get why their team would just keep these two under wraps i mean there's there's a reason why harris hasn't done a single presser since she, she was nominated. And uh, it's the reason why, you know, Biden only does five-minute interviews. I mean, I don't know, like, it's it's evil. It's deceptive to the American people. But if Biden wins, it will be because he stayed in this house and didn't talk in public. I mean, that, I think, was the strategy from the beginning.
1: Yeah, no, I, honestly, I agree with you. I think, <laughs> I think staying home is probably the best campaign strategy. Also, that's kind of why, you know, in the first debate I was disappointed because— he, like Trump should have just let him talk. That's all that needed to be done to show Americans that oh my god, this guy he doesn't know what he's doing and he doesn't have plans and uh we can't vote for him. Like that 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 should have been the strategy in debate 1. I'm glad he he, he pulled through in debate 3, but or 2, I guess, cuz they canceled the the second one. But um no yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I agree. It's, it's a train wreck half the time Joe Biden talks.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And after the the final debate, I mean, man, it tells you how ridiculous and, and immoral, I would even say, uh, early voting is. Um, the number one trend on Google was, can I change my vote? That is just <laughs> that is amazing stuff, man.
1: That is man. if you want to if
0: you want to know how big of a bloodbath that was in, in favor of the president, that second debate. Can I change my vote? Was Google's number one question. Yikes.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I think uh, I think Savannah Guthrie might have actually helped Trump as well, but uh, that's another story, I suppose. (laughs) During his town hall, I'll I'll let you go, but uh, I'll let
0: you go in just a second, Nick. But it is funny, Savannah Guthrie, in that second debate. Like, I mean, she was still biased in favor of Joe Biden. (laughs) You know, like it was. She was still awful, but she just wasn't like blatantly evil about it like it wasn't just like she wasn't so unprofessional (laughs) that like conservatives praised her like we're all like oh yeah she did a great job no she didn't she did not do a great job she's she's a leftist hack just like the rest of them she just wasn't like so over the top that it was unwatchable like the bar for journalists are set so low man it's like all they have to do just not be insane and evil and we'll be like well hey man credit where credit's due she's not an insane person (laughs) like she's not like the villain from a bad movie so i guess you gotta give her credit no she deserves no credit she's awful she should probably be fired like she was actually that bad but she was just so much better than chris wallace they were like okay whatever
1: yep exactly oh man crazy stuff
0: yeah buddy so (laughs) we'll see what happens we'll see what happens next week yeah we're out of time but uh yeah, brother, thanks for coming on, man. We'll have to do this again. It was great chatting with you. Where can everybody follow you online and read your stuff and keep in touch and all that good stuff?
1: Yeah, um, feel free to give me a follow on Twitter at Nick underscore Lindquist. Um, and then I'm also on Facebook. You can find me there. Um, and I my the link to my website is nicklindquist.com.
0: All right, everybody follow Nick. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. (音楽) Thank you.